will, please take a copy of your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we are in a series of messages that we've entitled Stewardship. And uh, before we get to the message today, I, I want to speak on uh, a, a, a milestone. I want to share with you a milestone that is happening this week uh, in our church. I want to brag on our church a little bit. This coming Thursday, November the 20th, is the uh, Aloma Church turns 59 years old. So happy birthday, Aloma Church, this coming Thursday. And you know, through the years, God has blessed this church. God has had his hand upon this church for all of these years. And I, I began to wonder, why does God bless this church the way he does? And I, I believe that I found several principles why God uh, blesses this church. I believe that God uh, showed me why he blessed this church. First and foremost is the uncompromising uh, truth, we, the commitment to truth at Aloma. The uncompromising commitment to truth. For 59 years, you've heard from this pulpit that this book is not just any book, but is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. When you go to your Sunday school classes, what we now call life groups, you hear your teachers stand upon the commitment to God's Word. And I believe that's first and foremost why God has blessed and God keeps His hand upon this church. It's because Aloma Church are people of the book. Also, our, our desire, uh, compelling worship, the, the desire, the passionate, compelling worship of, of this congregation, the Spirit-filled worship, because you see, God inhabits the praises of His people. When, when people praise Him, God shows up. And every time we praise Him here, God is here. You can say that God has chosen to bless this church because this church is, is filled with people who, who enjoy uh, relationships with one another. We're a spiritual family. And I'm grateful for the growing diversity of what I see. You see, heaven is not going to be just Baptist or just one color of skin, but heaven is going to be a, a multitude of, of every kindred and tribe and tongue and, and, and skin color and, and denomination. And I, I love seeing Aloma Church becoming diverse. And as we're becoming more and more diverse, we're becoming more and more unified. And, and you understand that's not normal, right? The more and more diverse we become, theoretically, we should become less and less unified. We should have pockets of people over here and pockets of people over here and pockets of people over here. But, but as a Loma Church, for, for, for 59 years and, and going forward into the future, we're becoming more diverse as our community is becoming more diverse. And, and instead, of, instead of causing dissension, we, we grow closer and closer and closer together. And let me tell you, church, that pleases God. That pleases God. How many churches have been limited, if not destroyed, by disunity and discord and disharmony among the fellowship? Thank God that the spirit of oneness is here in this fellowship. I thank God for Aloma Church. I praise God for her legacy. 59 years she has served. Brother Joe, when he served here, had the vision, and, and the people of God had the vision to move the church from where it was on Aloma Avenue, which I think is now a gas station, isn't it, where, where the church, or there's a building there now, the church is no longer there, and, 
and several years ago had the vision over three decades ago, I guess five decades ago now, uh, saw the, the church come to this area, this community, to reach the, this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I thank God for the legacy uh, of Aloma Church, where Aloma Church has been. But I'm looking forward to the future of where God is taking this church because it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So happy birthday, Aloma. Happy birthday this coming Thursday. Next year, we're going to be celebrating 60 years, and it's going to be, uh, we're going to have a, a big hoedown some kind. I don't know. We do hoedowns in Tennessee. I don't know what we do in Florida, but 60 years, that's, that's a, a milestone. So we'll celebrate somehow uh, next year. Now, I want us to get back to the message today. The message is entitled, Investing God's Way. We've been talking about stewardship, and we said that stewardship is really encompassed in three different areas of life. The gospel, we are stewards of the gospel, we've seen that. Uh, we are stewards of finances, we're stewards of resources, we've seen that. We're, we looked at that last week, we're looking at that again uh, this week. The stewardship of, of finances and resources. And then starting next week, we're going to be looking at stewardship of life and the stewardship of, of gifts. But I want to remind us of the principle of stewardship. What, what is a steward? As, as we begin to approach this again, and, and so many, I, I know that when, I, when, when the preacher preaches on money and giving, there's not a lot of amens, there's a lot of oh me's. Here we go again, right? Here we go again, another message on money. I put them back to back because it's, it's more like a band-aid. You rip it off and it's, it's, more, it's less painless when you just rip it off, right? If I, wanted to, if I wanted to be honorary, I would have done this message next week and make you think that you, I was going to do the giving message. So we'll have more people next week because they thought this message was coming this week, but it would have been coming next week. But that would have just been so confusing. So we just followed God's plan. And uh, what is a steward? A steward, to define a steward, a steward is, is someone who manages the household of the master. The house doesn't belong to you. It belongs to someone else. That's a steward. The definition of a steward is one who manages uh, the household of the master. And the steward is responsible for three things. Number one is the responsibility of the steward is to be accountable to the master, to be accountable to the master. You're not accountable to me. You're not accountable to, to anyone else. But if you are a steward, the wise steward is accountable only to the master, only to God. Number two, the second responsibility of the steward is to be available to the master. Here am I. Lord, use me in whatever way you see fit. A steward is, is accountable to the master. He's held accountable to the master. And while we're held accountable to one another, as stewards, we are held accountable to God. And then it goes beyond accountability into availability. But then even beyond that, it goes to agreeability. The steward must be agreeable to the master. It's not yours. So when, when the master says, do this with what is mine, we can't say no, right? You can't say no because it doesn't belong to you. So the steward must be agreeable to the master because the steward, the wise steward knows that everything he has, nothing belongs to him. It's all the master's. It's all his. And as good stewards, we must be wise stewards. We must be agreeable stewards. We, we must be accountable stewards. We must be available stewards for all that God has given to us. And what has God given to us? It's one word, everything, everything. God has given us all things, and therefore everything that we have belongs to him. It's not as though we, we give God a gift or a portion of what we have and we keep uh, the rest for ourselves and we do with it as we please. No, 
100% of what we own is his. Your name may be on the deed. Your name may be on the title, but it's not yours. It's not yours. It's, it's his. Everything we possess truly belongs to God. And it honors God. It, 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 it blesses his heart when, when, when we are generous and gracious to him. Now, the book of Proverbs primarily was written by one man, a very wealthy man, a very wise man. His name was Solomon, the king of Israel. And here in these two verses that we'll be looking at in Proverbs chapter 3, we find sound financial advice, counsel for, for our, how we are to spend and how we are to invest God's way. So often we, we, we ask people, in life for, for sound financial guidance and counseling. How, how do we invest and what do we do with our money? How to make a budget? Today, I, I hope that we will discover as we look at God's word, these only, only these, these two verses, but we will discover from these two verses an overarching principle found not just here, but throughout the pages of Scripture and how we are to invest God's way. And I, I hope to place in your hands principles straight from God's word that when you begin to apply them, you begin to apply them to your life, you begin to apply them to your finances, you begin to apply them to your investments, you will see God pour out his blessings upon you. Now, I am convinced of this. I am convinced that, that people in the church, Christians, people don't give because, quite frankly, I don't think it's taught enough in churches. I don't think that the teaching on giving is, is taught enough. I don't think that we've ever been taught to give. I told you last week, I, I was saved, and I had been preaching for over three years before I, I met my future father-in-law, who was my pastor at that time. And he said, Wesley, do you tithe? I said, I don't even know what that means. I had been preaching the gospel for a long time, and I had no clue. You see, I believe that the reason, one of the reasons why one of the reasons why we, we find this is because there's not been much teaching. So we want to teach biblical principles. And then there's false teaching out there. Just turn on Christian, and I put this in parentheses, Christian television, and listen to what they say about money. Don't buy into everything you hear on TV. Don't buy into everything you see on the Internet. There are excesses within Christianity, and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of, a lot of TV preachers out there that are preaching this, this, this health and wealth gospel that if you give a 1000 he's going to bless you with a million. You send me $10,000, and I'll send you my sweat rag that I used to preach from, and that'll bless you? What? Keep your sweat rag. I don't want it. But in God's word, those are excesses. Those are not biblical things. You're not going to find anywhere in God's word where it says, if you give this amount, then he's going to bless you this much more financially. The goal of giving is not to become financially secure. In fact, the Christian faith is all about following whom? Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ what did he have? Well, he had everything. If you think about him as God, right? He owned it all. He created all, all of it. Uh, Colossians says all of it was, was created by him, for him, and through him. It was all his. But yet he chose, he chose to, to, to live the life of less. He, he chose. The, the Bible says the, fo the, 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 the foxes have dens, the, the, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
So you see, as we follow Christ, this idea of stewardship is not about becoming financially wealthy. It has nothing about storing up treasures for us here on earth. It has everything, has everything about investing in tomorrow, investing in the future, investing in eternity, investing in the things that matter. We want to learn to give, but beyond that, we want to love to give. We need to learn to give. We need to hear from God's Word. In fact, Jesus spoke, uh, except for heaven and hell, Jesus spoke more about money than any other topic in the Bible. So we need to learn to give. We need to learn what the Bible says about money, but we, we must also love to give. What does Paul write in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7? God loves a what kind of giver? Cheerful giver. Loving to give. We must learn to give. We must love to give, but really we need to live to give. Live to give. You see, God, God has made it so, he, He's created it, that, that we're not to live selfishly. We're not to live inwardly, but we're to live and we're to give everything. Will you please stand in the honor of reading God's Word, Proverbs chapter 3. Two verses and only two verses. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, but you follow along. In your translation, as I read from mine, we come to God's Word now, and this is what God's Word says. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Father, these are two very simple verses, but yet contain such a profound, profound understanding. So, Father, may we come to this understanding. May we come to this principle today. And, Lord, give us the understanding. Lord, help us to see what you would have us to do as stewards of what you've given to us. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, please be seated. The first thing I want us to see is the purpose. As we're wise investors and we're investing God's way, we must see the purpose, the purpose of, of this giving, this purpose of this investment. And the purpose is very obvious. It's very clear, isn't it? In verse 9, what is the purpose? Well, what's the first words of the verse? The first three words, honor the Lord. That's the purpose. That's why we invest. That's why we give generously. That's why, that's why we, we do these things, to honor the Lord, to give honor in the Old Testament, uh, in the days of the king. We, to, to give honor literally means to give weight to something. And so the kings in the Old Testament, they, they, they wore uh, a, a lot of gold, a lot of jewelry. They were weighted down with garments and robes and diamonds and precious stones. If, if the king needed to get up and run, he would not have been able to do it because he was weighed down. And that's the picture of, of the honor. And so the idea of, of, of honoring uh, the king, the, the king was weighted. And so if, if, we, uh, if, if we're going to honor something, it's, it's heavy, it's worthy, it's weighted. And the Bible says that we are to honor the Lord. He is weighted. He is heavy. There's, there's a lot of accolades with the Lord. We're to give preeminence to his lordship in our life. To honor God. To, we, we, we honor him by obeying him. And this should be the ambition, the goal of every Christian is to honor the Lord, to, to obey him at his word. Number one on your list, your, your goal is what the Apostle Paul said, we make it an aim to please God. That should be our goal. That should be our purpose. We make it our aim to please the Lord. 
I don't look, I don't seek to please man, I don't seek to please anyone, but I seek to please God. And when I seek to please God and God alone, then, then I will be able to say I have done what God has called me to do. You see, there was a, there's a sign I used to have in my office. I, I, I don't know where it is, but I used to have it in my office. It said, I serve an audience of one. And I would see that sign every time I walked out the door, I serve an audience of one. You see, and that, that's the goal of our life is, is to serve God, to serve Christ with everything that we have, to have an audience of one, not to try to please other people. We see when we please God, then everything else will be right. When that relationship with God is right, all of our other relationships will be right. When we please God, then we will begin to be able to please other people. But if you don't please God, then nothing else will work. It's stewardship. It's stewardship. Do you know what the greatest verse, the, 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 the most powerful and the greatest verse on stewardship in all the Bible, do you know what it is? You want to take a venture? Do you want to take a guess? What is the greatest verse in all the Bible on stewardship? What's the most popular verse in the Bible? What do you think it is? John 3.16. It's the most popular verse in all the Bible. It's also the greatest verse on stewardship. Have you ever thought of John 3.16 as a verse on stewardship? For God so loved the world that he held back. No, for God so loved the world that he gave. And what did he give? He, he gave his only begotten son. He gave his first. He gave his best. He gave his only. He gave it all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, his only begotten son. He gave it all that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves. And you see, based out of his love, for God so loved, Based out of his love, he gave. You see that? He gave out of his love, and he gave it all. He's a gracious God. He's a good God. He's a giving God. The Scripture says the Lord our God is a sun and a shield, and he gives grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You see, we learn how to honor God through giving by observing how he gave. We give God the first and the best. How would God measure? How does God measure and evaluate our giving? Did you know your life is a gift from God? Your life is a gift from God. At any moment, he could snap his fingers and the breath of life would enter and, and that was entering into your lungs and coming out of your lungs would cease. He's the giver of life. He's the lifter of our heads. Now, I know what science says. Science says that, that, that uh, life is in uh, the body. It's in the molecules. And, and so in our molecules, as long as our lungs continue to breathe in the oxygen and exhale the carbon dioxide, it will pump oxygen into our heart, which will cause the heart to beat, which will cause the blood to go through the, our veins and then bring back all the toxins into the heart and then it exhales through our body. And they say that's life. But who's the one who allows the lungs to work? Who, who's the one pumping the lungs? Are you having to tell yourself, lungs pump, lung pump, lung pump? We would die. <laughs> Surely we would die as soon as we went to sleep because I would forget to make my lungs pump. My wife says, that's not the only thing that, that, that you would forget to do. Your, your brain doesn't work all the time either. See, life, this life that God has given to us, this, this life given by God. You say, I don't have anything to praise God for. Begin with your health. Begin with your sight. 
begin with, with your ability to think and to reason and begin to, to look at all that he has given to you. Life is a gift from God. But while your, your, your life is a gift from God, what you do with your life is your, is your gift back to God. Life is a gift from God, but what we do with that life is our gift back to God. You see that? See that principle? God has given us life. How can you, how can you pay back to God? How can, you, how can you demonstrate to God? How can you show God that, 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 that he's worthy? How can you worship God? How can you praise God? How, how can we give back to God, a God who owns everything? How can we do that? Well, we do that by taking what he has given to us and giving it back to him and, and saying, I, I'm going to allow this to live for you. We, we allow this that he has given to us. And we turn it back and we say, I, I, I'm just a mirror. God, you look at me and I want to reflect you and I, I, I want to do what you want me to do. As we've been saying through this series, one day we will give an account to stewards. It's a scary thing, isn't it? that we will stand before God and he will say, I have given you the gospel. I gave you the message that makes dead things come to life. What did you do with the gospel? How did you share the gospel? How did you communicate the gospel? You see, Paul said, I am a, I am a steward of the gospel. And not only is he a steward, but we are stewards of the gospel. And we will give an account for why we didn't share our faith with our friend when we knew we should have. Why we didn't share our faith with our spouse or our children or, or our parents, we will have to give an account to God one day. But that's not the only thing we have to give an account because, you see, we're stewards not just of the gospel but, but of all of life. And so we'll stand before God and we will give an account. So there's no such thing as a perfect life, but, but the goal of life is not to get but is to give. If you think the Christian life is about getting and getting and getting, you, you've missed the purpose of the Christian life. The Christian life is about giving and giving and giving and giving. How we respond as stewards. Remember what Jesus said? He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've been preaching for 17 years. 17 years I've been preaching this book. I used to think that as I would preach this book and preach the whole counsel of God and, and preach the, the, the money sermon, right? I, I began to think, well, you know, the, the, way we, the, the way we as a church, the way we, we give and we, we follow God through the tithe is if we just get our hearts right with God, then our treasures will follow. If we all just get our hearts right with God, then, then we will tithe and we will, we will do this. And it makes logical sense, doesn't it? But you know what? It's wrong. That's the wrong line of thinking. Jesus said the exact opposite, didn't he? Jesus doesn't say that your treasure follows your heart. He said your heart follows your treasure. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Let me give you a picture. Let's say you invest in a stock. There's nothing wrong with investing in stocks. But I promise you, if you're a wise investor, if you're a good investor, you're, you're checking up on that stock. You're, you're checking on, online every day. You're checking the ticker, and you're seeing uh, where that stock is, whether it's going up or going down. You want to know because you're invested in something. You're taking your time and your, your heart. Your heart is where your treasure is. When you invest in the work of God, it's the same principle. When you invest in the work of God, 
when your heart is there, when, you heart, when your heart is there, when you invest, when you make it your practice, the principle of your life to, to live in obedience to God, your heart comes along following it. Maybe your heart's not there yet. I learned in ministry that it's not my job to coerce people to give. It's simply my job as a steward of the gospel, as the shepherd, as the prophet to proclaim his word, to follow this. I I can't make anyone do anything. I can't coerce. If I can talk you into something, then somebody else can talk you out of it. I learned that a long time ago. I'm not a salesman. All I can do is point you to the truth. All I can say is, thus saith the Lord. And then it's up to us, it's up to us, it's up to you to take God at his word and say, God, I'm going to trust you at this. I'm going to trust that if I go, I am scared to death to go to a person I don't know and to share my faith. That scares me to death. But you said that you will never leave me or forsake me. So I know if I go to that person that I don't know and begin to share my faith, I know you're going to be there with me. You're either going to trust him at it or you're not. And so often we, so often we, we, we don't do that. But the goal of life, the goal of life is to trust him at his word. Honor the Lord. That's the purpose. Number two is the practice. See it here. The practice. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with your wealth. You see it there? That's how we practice it is the giving of wealth, giving of possessions. We're to honor God, and we do honor by giving him our praise, we, we, by giving him our life, by giving him our time, our talents, yes, but also of our treasure. You know, money is a stumbling block for some people. Money's a stumbling block for some Christians, their, their walk with Christ. First Timothy chapter 6, verse, six uh, verse 10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we said this last week, money is amoral. Money money's neither good or bad. Money can be used for a good thing, right? Money, money doesn't have to be bad. The lo- it, money is not the root of all evil. What's the root of all evil? The love of money. You see, there's a difference there. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to make investments. It's not wrong to, to, to do those things. It's not wrong to invest. It's not wrong to make money. You shouldn't walk around. If God has blessed you with a job that pays you well, then then, then thank God for that. But don't fall in love with money. You see, that's why Jesus speaks and condemns a lot of times. He condemns the wealthy because the more money you get, the harder it is to see God because we get so focused on making more money and making more money and making more money. That's why he said to the rich man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven. It's not wrong to have money. Zig Ziglar, a a man who I came to uh, love and admire, a a man who became my friend before he went to heaven as we served there at Prestonwood together. Zig Ziglar used to say, it's good to have the things that money can buy, but it's far better to have the things that money can't buy. But yet, this amoral thing, this, this neutral thing of money, when we do it the right way, God takes it and He uses it and He invests it in a ministry. He uses them. It's about possessions. You know, the Bible has a lot to talk about how we earn money. It says that we should not earn money in a dishonest way. You don't step over people in order to earn more money. That's not the way you should earn money. 
It talks a lot about how we should earn money, to earn it honestly and justly. The Bible also talks about how we should guard our money. And again, it's not wrong to invest money. It's not wrong to have a savings account. It's not wrong to have uh, money in the stock market. None of that is wrong. Where it becomes wrong is if that's where your focus is, if that's where your heart is. If your heart is all about earning more and more and more and more and more and storing up here on this earth and not thinking about and not planning about and not sharing and investing in the things to come. You know, I, I heard about this, this, this idea of uh, hoarding money, and I, I heard a story that I don't know if it's true or not, but it was, I, I, you've probably heard this story, this illustration before, but it, it's, so, it's so important in light of, of what we're talking about here today. It's, it's how to catch a monkey. If you've ever seen a monkey in South America, you know that those things are probably, I'm not a hunter, I, 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 don't, I don't like to shoot things, I just like to go to Publix and they've already been shot and killed and I just buy them there. I do like to fish, but I'm not a big hunter, but, but I, I've heard that, that monkeys are one of the hardest things, for those that are hunters, one of the hardest things to shoot because they jump all around, they swing from trees and they're just, they're just hard to shoot. Don't know why you'd want to shoot a monkey, but I guess that some people do. But they found a way to catch a monkey. You know how to catch a monkey? Get you a barrel. And in that barrel, drill you out a hole just the size for that monkey to slip his hand in. Put you a banana inside of that barrel. Now, when that monkey comes along, he's going to see that barrel. He's going to smell those bananas, and he's going to stick his hand in that hole. And he's going to grab that banana, and you know what he's going to do? He's not going to let go of that banana. And because he has a clenched fist, he cannot get his hand out of that hole. People come along. He can drop that banana and get out. He can see people coming, and he can make all the noise he wants to, but he's not going to let go of that banana. He's going to sit here. He's stuck in this barrel. Now, I've never seen that happen before. Now, I have seen it happen in some churches before, <laughs> not with monkeys, but with church members. We've got our hands on our stuff. We've got our hands on our stuff so much we have a death grip on that little banana. We think that little banana is going is, is all we have in life. And we think all, all I have is that savings account. All I have is that banking account. And I've got my hand on it. And we won't let go. And if we could only understand that where life is, where, where liberty is, is letting go, getting out, and giving it over to God. But what do we do? So often we hold on to that. We hold on to that, and that will be the death of us. We trust God with our salvation. We trust God with the eternity, our, our eternal security that once we're saved, we're always saved. We, we trust Him with heaven. We, 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 we trust Him with our family. We trust Him with our kids. We, we trust Him with our parents. We, we trust Him with our health. We, we trust Him with every, every area of life. But why is it that when it comes to this right here, we do this? And we say, God, no, this is mine. This is mine. practice. When you give, you give of your possessions. God has shown us how many people are caught up in greed, and they don't realize that you can be liberated when you let go. Let go of it, and God will bless. Obey Him, honor Him, your possessions. Thirdly, the principle. 
You see it here in the word first fruits. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your possessions, and then also with the first fruits. This is the specific and strategic principle found in the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament, it's there. This principle of the first fruits. Moses talked about it. Abraham talked about it. Solomon talked about it. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. Peter talked about it. This idea of first fruits, the principle of first things first. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The principle of first things first, give God the first, give God the best. The Jews would bring the first of their income to the temple to sacrifice. The tithe, as we said last week, is not my tithe. We don't say that, that I'm given my tithe. That's wrong. It's not my tithe. It's his tithe. And the tithe is not just a tenth. The tithe is the first tenth. Why is it the first tenth? Because the first tenth is always the best. And God deserves the best. And so when we give to God, we give off the top. We give the first tenth. That's why Seth's uh, that, that's why uh, uh, Abel's sacrifice was blessed by God because he gave off the top. He gave of the first. Cain's sacrifice was rejected because he gave of the leftovers. First things first, the first fruits. Moving on, we're out of time. But I want to say, if you missed last week, that the tithe belongs to God, it's not yours. And so many people, so many people rob God. When you withhold the tithe, the scripture says you rob God. Now, I would rather steal from any one of you than steal from God. Now, I don't think much of, of thieves. I, I, don't, I don't work well with thieves or liars. Give me a murderer any day, but don't give me a thief or a liar. Because you can't trust them. And how many of us are not robbing our fellow man, we're robbing God. And when we withhold his tithe, what rightfully belongs to him, we are robbing God. And not only are we robbing God, but we're robbing ourselves. That's a scary, scary, scary place to be. The principle in God's word, the principle in God's word is first things first, finally the promise. See it here. My, my voice is running out. My time is running out. So we're going to have to land this plane very quickly. Verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Wine in the Bible in the Old Testament is a symbol of joy. So he says that when you give this way, when you give to God, you will, you will experience a joy that you cannot explain. And I cannot explain this. I cannot understand this. But I know this, that when we're obedient to God, we receive his favor and his blessing. Just as we found, we found last week when we looked at God's word, when we tithe, when you bring the tithe in the storehouse, he opens the windows of heaven. He pours blessings out upon us. It's impossible to outgive God. It's impossible to outgive him and to overgive our income because he just keeps blessing. The fa in fact, the language here in your Bible in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 10 it literally says, if we were to translate, translate this out of the Hebrew exactly the way it is, here's what it would say. He just keeps filling our barns, and he keeps overflowing our vats. You see, those verbs are in the imperfect. It means that it's something that continues over and over and over and over again. God continues to bring the blessings when we continue to give to him. 
when we continue to give it to God. You cannot outgive God. That's the principle found here in Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10. That as we continue to give to Him, He continues to pour out blessings. And listen to me, this is not the health and wealth gospel I'm preaching. I'm not saying give a give $1,000 and God's going to give you $100,000. That's bogus. That's a, that, if you ever hear a preacher say that, don't, don't believe it. You see, we, we don't, we, 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 we give, we give and God, we, we get, God gives not for us to be a container, but for us to be a channel of his blessing to the world. And when we give, if we're only bringing in, he's going to stop blessing. But as, as we give and he blesses, we, the more he blesses, the more we put out. And the more we put out, the more he blesses. And the more he blesses, the more he puts out. He's looking for stewards that he can trust. He's looking for men and women who, who are not going to just be reservoirs, who are not going to just be uh, 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 containers, but be channels of blessing. Let me give you a story, a true life story. I've told some of you this. When Sarah and I got married in 2003, July 26, 2003, we, we were just young kids, didn't know, didn't know up from down, didn't know anything, really. All I knew was that we had a call in our life, and God was calling us from the metropolis of Pigeon Forge with all 5,000 people to Dallas, Fort Worth. I'll never forget my wife crying when, when we pulled into Dallas, and I looked at her, I said, honey, that's so sweet. Uh, that you're crying because we're, we're walking into God's will. She said, no, I'm crying because I am scared to death. <laughs> a couple weeks before we got married, I went to Dallas, and I lined up a job for me, and I lined up a job for my wife. By the time we got married, we, we came up here to Daytona Beach uh, for our honeymoon. We spent a week there, just up, up north of Daytona Beach. We spent a week there, and then we went home. We, we did what we could afford, and we didn't have much. We, we really didn't have two nickels to rub together. We didn't have hardly anything. And by the time we got everything packed up in the U-Haul, it, it's quite a sight to be traveling down the interstate and, and, and looking at the U-Haul. My father-in-law was driving the U-Haul. We were in the car. My father-in-law was driving the U-Haul. It wasn't the big U-Haul. It was that little, it was that little one, you know, the little U-Haul. And you're thinking, everything I have in this world is tied up in that U-Haul. If it just exploded, not only would I lose my father-in-law, but everything that we had would be gone. <coughs> it's a very humbling experience. But while we were driving to Dallas, we got a phone call. And we, uh, I, I answered, and it was uh, the place that I had lined up for Sarah for her job. And, and they called and said, it's just not going to work out. So Sarah lost her job. I said, that's not a big deal. I've got a job at a great church working with a great guy, and so it'll, we'll be able to make ends meet. I've got tuition rent. I've got, I've, we've got an apartment lined up because, thank you so much. When, when um, that scared me, by the way. <laughs> no food or drink in the sanctuary, by the way. <clears throat> um, when, when, you know, I had all these expenses coming, and, and I was like, okay, well, at least I've at least got a job. We'll get some payment in. Sarah will get a job at some point pretty quick, and we'll be okay. We'll be okay. So we get to Dallas. We, we go, and we do our first Walmart trip as a couple. Remember that first Walmart trip as a couple? 
when when you have to get everything. You have to get the shower curtains. You got to get the the little things that hold the shower curtain up. You got to even get the rod, right? You got to get everything because you don't have you ain't got nothing. And so we've got we had literally three um, uh, buggies full of stuff and. And we were going to check out, and we were paying with this, the money that we so uh, graciously uh, got from people who gave us money for the wedding. And that's what we were using to, uh, to, to pay for this stuff. And so uh, we, we were about to go check out, and my phone rings. I answer it, and it's the church that I had lined up for me for a job. And they said, I'm so sorry, but it's not going to be able to happen. I wish I could have said, you know what, brother, that's okay. I just praise God anyway. We stood there in Walmart, and we began to weep. People thought there was something wrong with us. <laughs> there was something wrong. Everything that I had lined up was, was no longer working. I, we, I, we've got a rent payment. I've never paid rent in my life, and I've got a rent payment coming up. I hear that if you don't pay that, they put you out on the street. We put everything back out of those. That's a very humbling thing. We put everything back out of those push carts we had, and we, we went home to an empty apartment. Every, the only things that we had in that apartment was the stuff that we'd got from our, our, our wedding. And we didn't have anything. We had that money, and we, we continued to tithe off of it. That was hard. It's hard to give when you ain't got nothing to give. But I learned earlier in life that if you don't give, that, that, that that's the principle. You, that it doesn't belong to me. I've got to give to God, and we continue to tithe. We continue to give. Let me tell you what God did. God never made us a millionaire. I've never been a millionaire, never will be a millionaire. But he's blessed me. Can I tell you how he's blessed me? Here's how it worked in our life. We continue to be faithful to giving. And I set out, I said, okay, I'm going to go. I, I listed several churches on a piece of paper, and I said, I'm going to go to each of these pastors. I have no idea who they are. They have no idea who I am. I probably cannot even get in to see the pastor because these are big churches. And, I, and my sole purpose is to go into there and, and share my heart with the pastor and tell them I've cleaned toilets before. I've, I've, I've mopped before. I don't care what you give me in the church. I just want to be a part of God's church, and I want to serve God however way you see fit. So I went with that attitude. Now understand that this was, goodness, this is 2003. This was, how many years ago was that? 12 years ago? 11 years ago? Um, I, I still had my, my Tennessee draw. You know what I mean? You, you know what I mean? I lost that in Texas. But I went in to talk to this one pastor, and I was using, I was speaking the only way I knew how to speak. And that pastor looked at me. He said, "You're not from around here, are you?" I said, "No, sir, I'm not." He said, "You're from East Tennessee, aren't you?" I said, "Yes, sir, I am." How did you know? He said, "Ah, just a hunch." He said, "I, I was born and raised in East Tennessee." He said, I used to serve a church in East Tennessee, and lo and behold, it was a church that, that, that I preached at numerous times. He was the youth pastor in that church. I just preached there a few uh, months earlier. God began to knit something together, and he said, what are you here for? I said, I, I want to clean the toilets of this church. I'll do whatever it takes. He said, well, I'll do one better for you. I'll make you my intern. 
and you can be my research assistant. You can come and you can shadow me and you can be a part of this, this church where God is moving and, and, and you, can, you can walk behind and you can see what, uh, what I do as a leader, as a pastor of this church. Paul, are you serious? Yay, God. Went home that day and went up to the apartment and couldn't, Sarah wasn't there and this was, uh, we, we couldn't afford cell phones. This is before the government just gave phones out, I guess, for people to use. We didn't have free phone then. Please don't write me a letter or send me any, don't do that, okay? This was back when if you didn't work, you didn't eat, I guess. But again, don't, don't, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> don't send me emails. Don't send me emails. Please don't. Um, I couldn't find my wife. I, you know, we, we, we couldn't afford a cell phone. Uh, we had to turn our cell phone off. We couldn't afford a cell phone. We, we couldn't even afford water. Thankfully, in the apartment we had, there was a hole in the roof above the shower that was this big. And so when it rained, we, we actually could stand under that hole and, and let God just, that, that's, that's how we took a shower. That's how I took a shower anyway. But just trying to save money. But anyway, Sarah was, she wasn't there. I knew where she was. She was downstairs. And uh, she had befriended an, an, an elderly lady her and her husband. Her husband was a, a retired pastor, a, a retired uh, Mennonite um, pastor. I believe it was Mennonite church that he was with. And she had befriended them. This, his wife, was, they were elderly. They were in their 80s, early 90s. And she had Alzheimer's. She, she was in a, a, a chair. She couldn't get out of the chair. She never moved. She couldn't walk. They had to have 24-hour care, seven days a week, 24 hours in there with them at all times. But Sarah, because she didn't have a job yet, she was looking for a job. She would go in the morning to try to find a job. In the afternoon, she would come. And the only thing that this uh, Miss Alma uh, was the senior adult lady who had Alzheimer's. The only thing that she could do, the only time she would talk is when you would sing a hymn to her. Of all the things that she had forgotten, she remembered the hymns of the faith. And so Sarah would go down, and she would just uh, sing hymns with this older lady. And I would walk by, and I would hear them in there singing, and it was just a precious thing. Well, this time I, I went down there, and, and there was a, another person in there. She was, this lady was very well-to-do. The Bentley outside this Roach Hotel should have given me a sign that there was somebody uh, who had money that was in uh, this, this apartment complex. You don't drive Bentleys where we, where we live. Um, but this lady, she had on a very nice coat and a very, uh, very obvious that she was well-to-do. I asked her what her name was. She told me her name, and I said, are you, is everything okay? She said, these are my parents. This is my mom and my dad. And the, the nurse just told me that there's this young lady who came and would sing with my mom, and I just wanted to come and see this for myself. She had a tear in her eye, and we began to talk, and she shared with me. She said, in fact, my, I know this isn't much, but my, my husband owns this, this uh, apartment complex, and I'll tell you what we want to do. We want to give this to you for free. You can stay here rent-free. Just a few weeks ago, we lost everything. And now I've got my, we've got our rent paid for. And then she said, on top of that, to boot, I, I hear that your wife doesn't have a job. I've got a job opening that pays very well. And all she has to do is take it. It's hers. Oh. Oh, and on top of that, because my dad was a preacher, I love preachers, so I want to pay for your seminary. Listen, 
We never became millionaires. She's not paying for my seminary now, but she did when we really needed it. You cannot outgive God. And I truly believe this. If we were not faithful in that moment, that was a test of God. If we were not faithful in that moment, we would not have experienced the blessings of God. And I look at my life, I, and, and there's so many stories like that, and you can tell stories that just like that where, where God moved and God worked in your life. But I look at my life, and, and sometimes I, I make decisions for myself, and I don't go God's way, and I begin to think after this is all said and done, I wonder what blessing I just missed out of. 